Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. And uh, today we're going to talk about the gospel, and the title of this sermon is No Other Gospel. So if you have people that have answers or questions, bring them next week. I start off, this is not your main verse, I start off with 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. In Jude 1.3, very important to me, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, listen to these words, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I'm contending today. Jude 1, verse 3. Contending for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So we got 2 Timothy 2.15 and Jude 1, 3. Our verses for today turn to the book of Galatians, go into chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 11. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I love how Paul starts off his, his doxologies. I love how he starts off letters. It's like he gives the whole gospel, kind of. Paul, an apostle. Now, what's he doing here? He's establishing the fact that, I, that he is called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And one of the keys to being a capital A apostle is that you were appointed that apostle by Christ and you have seen the resurrected Jesus with your eyes. So just remember that. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Anybody ever been in confusion from what you've heard? And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, he's repeating it, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's look at these verses. Let's break them down, and let's see what they have to say. First of all, he's writing this to refute this, the false gospel of works, because one of the things that this, at this time in this church they were bringing in, trying to add things to saved alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. And he was trying to refute this. Why are you now adding something to what, to what you accepted, and for those who are doing it, let them be accursed? See a danger of adding to the gospel? Any work you add to the gospel, let them be accursed. It's that important. It's that vital. It's that profound. He says, I am astonished. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In other words, I can hardly believe what I'm hearing about you. You're deserting, defecting, turning away from something. So they were in the process of defecting when Paul wrote this. So he's trying to stop this decay, this um, progress of this new doctrinal infection, if he could. The real gospel based on repentance and believing in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, and is for the glory of God alone. That's the real gospel. Nothing added to it. And there's only one true gospel, but there's countless false gospels that have come and gone through the ages. Let me read you a couple Examples of different Gospels. One will call it the therapeutic Gospel. Listen to the words. Sin robs us of our sense of fullness. Sounds great. But that has nothing to do with Christ's death proves our worth as humans and gives us power to reach our potential. The church helps us find happiness. Boy, I hear this Gospel a lot on TV. Talking, listen, I, we are not called to stand in a pulpit and be life coaches. I am not called to be in a pulpit and be a motivational speaker. Yeah. I'm here to rightly divide the word of truth. That's right. The moralist gospel, our big problem is sins, plural, not sin nature. The purpose of Christ's death is to give us a second chance and make us better people. Redemption comes through the exercise of willpower with God's help. The judgmentless gospel. God's forgiveness does not need to come through the sacrifice of His Son. Judgment is more about God's goodness, not the need for human rebellion to be punished. Evangelism then is not urgent. The judgmentless gospel. Here's one. How about the social club gospel? Salvation is all about, man, I've seen this, finding fellowship and friendship at church. The gospel is reduced to Christian relationships that help us enjoy life. About the activist gospel. The kingdom is advanced through our efforts to build a just society. The gospel's power is demonstrated through cultural transformation. And the church is united around political causes and social projects. Political causes are great. Social projects are great, but that's not the gospel. How about the mystic gospel? Salvation comes through an emotional experience with God. The church is there to help me feel close to God by helping me along in my pursuit of mystical union. How about the prosperity gospel? Name it, claim it, health and wealth, positive confession theology. 
The problem with the prosperity gospel is in the majority of people who follow this train of thought in their their theology, there is a misunderstanding of the atonement. If you get the atonement wrong, you get the gospel wrong. It's a false gospel. Many in the prosperity th- who espouse prosperity theology have a fundamental misconception of the life of Jesus. One guy, I actually seen him on when I used to watch TBN, which I don't anymore, but John, this gentleman called John Evanzini, he's a big uh, finance guy. Uh, he proclaimed this on TBN. Jesus had a nice house, a big house. Jesus was handling big money, and he even wore designer clothes. On Christian television to millions of people around the world. So it's easy to see how a warped view of life, the life of Christ, could lead to an equally warped misconception of the death of Christ and thusly the gospel of Christ. A second error in the prosperity gospel that leads to a faulty view of the atonement is when they misrepresent 2 Corinthians 8-9, for example. Just write down 2 Corinthians 8-9. It reads this way, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You can go there. I'll give you time to turn if you want to. This is a great, this is a very popular verse in the Word of Faith movement for God wanting you rich. You've got to interpret Scripture correctly. I can't stress that enough. I have this great line in my sermon later on, but I'll say it now. If you take the text out of context, it's easy to be conned. You have to preach in context. What's it say before it? What's it say after it? And then does it align with all the rest of the scriptures in Bible? In the Bible, you can't have one thing that's saying it this way, but it's not aligning with the rest of Scripture. So, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and I'm doing this because this is a misconception of Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might, that through his poverty you might become rich. So if you shallow read this, it might lead you to believe that Paul was teaching on um, increasing in material wealth. But if you read it in context, he's actually teaching the exact opposite principle. He's teaching the Corinthians that since Christ accomplished so much through the atonement, so much for them through the atonement, They should empty themselves of their riches in service of the Savior. Because five verses later, he says this, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. He's not talking about how you can be rich. Listen, the gospel is not that Jesus came to give us health, wealth, and happiness now. The gospel is not uh, about that. He came to save us from our sins so that we can have an eternity of bliss with him. Christ's death is not a ticket to all the material things men desire in this life, but it's a ticket to eternal life. Christ's death is not so we can have our best life now. He didn't die for that. As a matter of fact, if you want to find enough verses in the Bible, Jesus gives everything away. Give your life, everything. You are crucified with Christ. Todd White a big proponent of the New Apostolic Reformation, big, popular name now, who calls Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes his spiritual father. T.D. Jakes denies the Trinity. 
calls Copeland and T.D. Jakes his spiritual fathers. He teaches what's called the encounter gospel. It's popular at Bethel, Bethel at Reading, in Reading, California, and with the New Apostolic Reformation movement in general. This gospel focuses on just showing love to people and especially performing miraculous healings and or giving prophetic words to people. So the belief is um, that an unbeliever is going to jump at the chance to ask Jesus into the heart once they see for themselves that God is real. So we're going to go out into the public, we're going to love on people, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to grow their legs out, and then we're gonna, that's going to show them that you know, Jesus is great and they want to get saved, but you can't get saved without preaching the gospel. And once they understand this, they're going to see um, how loved and valuable they are. Listen, I was in Africa, South Africa one time in the, in the city of Pretoria, which was the capital of South Africa, uh, after a meeting. And listen, this, this, this charlatan stuff of growing legs out that's big in that Reformation movement out on the street, they do that because you can, you can, it's like you can do a magical act on people and it looks like your legs really growing. It happened to me. All these people were gathered around, had me in a chair. Oh, they're all like, oh, God, this is going to be, oh, it's a miracle. And all of a sudden, the guy's doing this thing. And I, I knew, I almost, wanted, I almost broke out. I almost began to weep because I knew what was happening. And then once he did what he did, and it looked like my legs were the same length, everybody cheered, miracle. Oh, my goodness, this is incredible. Well, my legs never got, my leg, one leg was shorter than the other one, but it didn't get fixed until I had my knees done. got to be careful, man. You can't follow every single thing that's popular. And understand, this is what gets me. Men are flesh-oriented. And even in the ministry or people who think they're called to the ministry, their flesh is going to try to lead them to things that are all about men. That's why we're going to talk about next week one of the main proponents of the Word of Faith theology is telling people that they are little gods. Because it's all about building man up and bringing God and diminishing our view of God, but elevating man up. You have to be careful of what you're hearing. Even if you were brought up in it, sometimes you've got to reject what you were brought up in and live in the truth. All this stuff is taught. Old fashioned, I'm an old-fashioned Christian, by the way, because I talk about you need to repent of your sin. You need to be forgiven by Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. Here's the true gospel. Man is dead in his or her sins. You are not good. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, no one is good. No, not even one. It says their throat is an open grave, spews out evil. No one. You were not born good. Your little baby that you love so much, that baby was not born good. None of us are born good. God's wrath is against you as a sinner, and only Jesus can satisfy his wrath. That's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus satisfied the wrath of the Father. You don't hear that on Christian television. As a matter of fact, the last time I was on TBN, I talked about propitiation, which we're going to touch on. I talked about the wrath of God. Well, I never got invited back. (laughs) If you die as a sinner, hell is your eternity. That's the gospel. Yeah, there's bad news, but there's glorious news. 
But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die in the sinner's place as payment for their sin. Jesus had to die in order to satisfy or appease the wrath of God against us. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection made it possible for all who repent and believe, not just pray a sinner's prayer, who believe in, repent and believe in Christ in their hearts as the only Savior and Lord, and make it known through confession, they will be saved or what we call regenerated. That's the gospel. And simply put, a lot of people do not want to believe in a God who demands righteousness and morality. So they imagine God is this uh, more of a mystical force than this personal sovereign ruler. That's why there's so much carnality in the church. So he says, I'm astonished, I'm amazed. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. I am astonished, I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you. So this calling is an invitation to us to accept the benefits of salvation. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Listen, we, we can... We can be scammed spiritually. A uh, $50 haircut, hip shirt, tattoo, skinny jeans, and dreadlocks a prophet does not make. You have to really listen to what people are saying, what gospel they are really preaching. You have to be careful those who seem to they come up with these new ideas that um, Jesus died on the cross to show you your worth. There's nothing said about sins, nothing said about your depravity, just to show you, oh, God loves you so much, he just wants to show you your worth. Jesus died on the cross because you were a depraved <laughs> sinner who had no worth. That's right. But we don't want to hear that. We want to hear, we want compliments. It's human nature. A different gospel. Here's some examples from some popular, uh, I guess you call them teachers, preachers, whatever, who have a distorted view of the gospel. I say this in love. I say this not against the person. I have to say and show what the person says so you can get an idea of what's going on. Okay, Fred Price, huge leader of the Word of Faith movement. He said this, Do you think that punishment for our sin was to die on a cross? If that were the case, the two thieves could have paid our price. No, the punishment was to go into hell itself and to serve time in hell separated from God. Jesus did not go into hell and suffer. Hear me. He did not go to hell after he died on the cross to suffer three days. If you believe that, that's wrong theology. Benny Hinn. Ladies and gentlemen, the serpent is a symbol of Satan. Jesus Christ knew the only way he would stop Satan was becoming one in nature with him. Kenneth Hagin, the believer is as much an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. Do you have any idea what the incarnation means? It means the God, God becoming man, born as a child, Still the God man. Remember that one too. Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland, they teach that Jesus' spirit went into hell under the powers of Satan and the demon world and by his victory being born again, we are redeemed. Did Jesus need to be born again? 
This means that we're not redeemed, hear this, we're not redeemed on the cross by the shed blood of Calvary in this dimension, but by Jesus descending into hell under the power of Satan, where he was born again during his suffering in hell. In other words, when Jesus' spirit left his body on Calvary, man was not yet redeemed. That's what they're saying. The truth is, as he neared death, Jesus said, it is finished, John 19.30. When he said it is finished, his suffering in our place was completed. There was no need to go to hell and suffer. And we can talk about where it says he descended in the lower parts of the earth. Um, we can really get into the whole thing of what's hell, what's Hades, what's Sheol. Just understand one thing. He did not go to hell to suffer. His suffering was done on the cross and finished when he died. So his suffering ended the moment that he died and the payment for sin was paid. Remember, when you take the text out of context, you get conned every time. Kenneth Copeland, when Jesus cries, it is finished. When Jesus cried, it is finished. He was not speaking of the plan of redemption. There were still three days and nights to go through before he went to the throne. He was referring to the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus' work on the cross was only the beginning of the complete work of redemption. Do you see why this is in the true gospel sermon? Because they are, have a false view of the atonement. And if your view of the atonement is wrong, then your gospel's wrong. It is finished. In the Vine's expository dictionary, in the Greek, the word finished, it is finished, is the Greek word you all heard us before, to telestai. And it's rendered to bring an end or paid for in full. So even the Greek word that was used means it was already at that moment when he said, it's pen, when he said it is finished, it has been paid for in full. No need to suffer anymore. It was complete. If he did anything else beyond it is finished in order to pay for sin, something has been added to his completed work, then the gospel is then altered. Ephesians 4, this is, these are, you know, write these, write these chapter and verse down. I'm not going to read them, but go home. Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10, and 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. These need to be kept in context. I'll just read Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. This has to be kept in context. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a captive, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. And now this expression, he was ascended. What does it mean except he, he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Along with 1 Peter chapter 3, which I won't turn to, 18 through 20, when we read these, you've got to have right interpretation for this. This is not meaning he went to hell and suffered to teach that the crucifixion was insufficient to atone for our sins and that's what they're saying and that jesus also had to suffer three days of torment in hell it is a heretical teaching this is not just false teaching this is heresy so hear the profound importance of what people are preaching this is not just some bad teaching you're now messing with the atonement of Christ. 
you're now messing with the gospel. Kenneth Copeland said, the righteousness of God was made to be sin. He accepted the sin nature of Satan in his own spirit. And at that moment that he so cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You don't know what happened at the cross? Why do you think Moses, upon instruction of God, raised the serpent upon that pole instead of a lamb? That used to bug me. I said, why in the world would you want to put a snake up there, the sign of Satan? Why didn't you put a lamb on that pole? And the Lord said, because it was a sign of Satan that was hanging on the cross. Cruflo Dollar, teaching falsely on the deity of Christ, which directly affects the gospel. Quote, but Jesus didn't show up perfect. Anybody have anything to say about that one? Did Jesus show up perfect? He was God all the time from the moment of his conception. He was God. Amen? Amen. You're going to hear teachings that he wasn't. He grew into it. It's right here. He didn't show up. And remember, when one word of faith guy gets it from, they're getting it as it goes back in its genealogy, they're getting it from a particular, and I'll talk about that next week, where this comes from, who it's passed to, and then from there, all the new guys get it, and that's what they teach. And if you raise up in it, then you buy into everything that they're talking to you about. But Jesus didn't show up perfect. He grew into his perfection. You know Jesus in one scripture in the Bible. He went on a journey and he was tired. You better hope God don't get tired. Isaiah 50 says, 50, 60 somewhere, says where we have a God who fainteth not, neither is weary. But Jesus did. If he came as God and he got tired, he says he sat down by the well because he was tired. Boy, we're in trouble. And somebody said, well, Jesus came as God. Well, how many of you know the Bible says God never sleeps, nor slumbers? Yet in the book of Mark, we see Jesus asleep in the back of the boat. That from a person who's teaching multitudes of millions who buy his books and allow him to have a private jet and a 16,000 or more square foot home is teaching you that Jesus was not God when he came to earth. And even when he was sleeping, he was not divine because God wouldn't sleep. Please hear right theology. Jesus was the God-man. Bill Johnson and Todd White, they quote said this, He, Jesus, performed miracles, signs and wonders as a man in right relationship to God, not as God, end quote. Not as God. Do you see this, evo- uh, this elevating of man to God-like status? This elevating of man. Listen, the scam happens when supposed teachers of the Bible distort the gospel and proclaim a false message that they call truth. And a lot of them are going to teach you things and they're going to tell you it's because they got a new revelation. Some of the new guys in a new apostolic reformation, they don't even preach out of their Bible. They all go off of so-called revelation. Whatever they feel, they said the Spirit said to them that it's, it's an altering of Scripture. It's a different gospel. So how can you avoid this scam? How do you avoid the scam? By knowing from the Bible what the gospel really is. It's the most important teaching 
that you could possibly know because it has to do directly with the most important thing there is, your eternity and reaching lost souls for Christ. I heard Paul Washer say, and listen, if you get the gospel wrong, you get everything else wrong. Uh, Pastor Paul Washer said he thought the most important word in the Bible was propitiation besides the names of God. Well, Romans 3, 23 through 25 says this. For all those who believe the moralist, therapeutic, or social club gospel, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I repeat again, that word propitiation means appeasement, satisfaction, appeasing the wrath of God and reconciling us to God through that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. We have to go through Christ, and we go through Christ because He paid the price. And the only way for God's wrath against sinful man to be appeased is for us to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Here's the problem. You're not going to hear that from the majority of megachurch pastors because it's offensive to people. But that's the gospel. That's the truth. And any other gospel, as Paul said, is no, other, it is no gospel at all. And I, I say if a leader or a pastor or a teacher, if they really care about you, they will tell you the truth no matter what it costs them no matter how much tithe it costs the church or them, no matter how many people are going to leave, if they really love you, they will give you the truth. I'm not called to just be a smiling preacher. I'm not just called to give you good stuff, to give you good thoughts. So what's the greatest challenge to us and to Christians in the 20, or the church in the 21st century probably that these teachings that are driving us away from what the true gospel is. So he goes on to say, I'm astonished, I'm amazed that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7 says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert or distort the gospel of Christ. Distort means to corrupt, pervert, reverse. The idea here is to turn something hear the true gospel, to its opposite state, to alter it, cause it to be different, so that it's no longer the gospel of Christ and of His grace. In Paul's day, the Judaizers was to pervert Paul's message by grace by adding salvation, by adding to salvation works, instead of by faith alone. And he's saying that this, this, uh, these false doctrines had mentally disturbed them. They're in confusion. We, people get into confusion because they're hearing this, they're seeing that guy, and they, we get into confusion because we see, well, this is huge, and people are flocking to it, and, and this is like, it's exploding, and miracles, and signs, and wonders, and Jesus says, I think it's in the book of Matthew, that people will come to him in the last days, say, Lord, Lord, did I not do signs, and wonders, and miracles in your name? And he said, depart from me, I have never known you. Be careful of those who profess signs and wonders and miracles. Remember, the devil can do it too. You'd not think we're living in a day where the devil's going to do everything he can to deceive the church? It says that even some of the elect will be deceived. 
verse 8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. The, that word accursed is the Greek word anathema. It describes one delivered over to divine wrath or dedicated for destruction. If you alter the gospel, this is what he's saying about you. If I stand on television or in a pulpit today and preach a perverted gospel, it describes one delivered over to divine wrath or dedicated for destruction. It's so important to remember about gospel purity. And he says again, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. It, what, if this wasn't profound enough to Paul the first time, this is how Paul cried. He, he wept over people knowing they were going to defect, over knowing false teachers were going to come into the church. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? And the thing about it is, going to say this, young people will flock to this stuff because they don't have a foundation of which to stand on. So they will flock to signs and wonders. And it's almost like people are putting, and I've seen this before, it's almost like they're emphasizing signs and wonders more than they do the gospel. Spurgeon said this about God, or Paul talking about pleasing people. He said he would not be the servant of Christ if he pleased men. Those whom we try to please are our masters. If a man tries to please the populace or to please the refined few, these are his masters, and he will be their flair. But if he tries to please God, then he is a free man indeed. The preacher must preach the hard truth about sin and judgment. Churches, many, it's not found anywhere. We don't want to preach a right gospel because we think it's harsh. But it's really preaching some, to somebody with love and concern for their soul. If I just tell you, raise your hand today, come here, pray this prayer, and look at you and go, you're saved. I'm doing that person an injustice because I don't know if they really repented and believed. And someone always asks me, well, how do you know? Or what? It was different for you. When I came, when I gave my life to Christ, I wept for several hours. Because I, I was broken over who I know I was. Do you remember a time in your life when you really repented? Because repentance has something to do with being saved. Amen. Chuck Swindoll said this about the verse we just read. Am I trying to please people? If I still were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Chuck Swindoll said, There was a time in my ministry many years ago when a single verse of Scripture jolted me back to a place of confidence, delivering me from the trap of, a te- of telling a group of influential people what they wanted to hear. I realized now it was a turning point in my leadership pilgrimage from slave to others to servant of Christ. It reads, for, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He says, a leader who wants to be respected can afford, can, can afford flattery no more than he can deception. As someone once said, I don't know the secret of success, but I do know the secret of failure. Try to please everybody. 
In closing, in verses 11 and 12, as I want you to know, let me make it perfectly clear, in other words, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you, now he's trying to end with or bring this point in, this is not from me, this is from God. I did not receive this from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So the gospel Paul preached, as he's trying to make a point, an emphasis here, was not of human origin. Otherwise, it would have works righteousness in it like all the other ones did. You can tell it's different. You can tell because it's saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. So man's pride is offended by the idea that only God's mercy and grace can save you from sin. So this gospel was received and not conceived by man. It's easy to go with the crowd, but at what cost? Closing illustration. Counterfeit money is lacking in authority. It does not have the backing of the federal government. A good counterfeiter can dupe some people into accepting his copywork as legitimate currency. But eventually, when the fake money is brought before the authorities, it will, fa- it will, found, it will, it will be found false and sentenced to destruction. Likewise, a false gospel lacks something very important, the authority of Christ. The preacher of a false gospel may believe it and persuade others to accept its message. Nevertheless, in the final analysis, there is no salvation in this fake gospel. So how do I apply this to my life? Very easily. Know the true gospel for yourself. Don't let yourself be swayed from that truth. Always be ready to give that truth to others. Be ready to defend that truth. Stick to your guns on this truth. And lastly, be passionate about holding to the truths of the Word of God as much as Paul was. So let's pray. Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you in your walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us. You can come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.